This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So we are working through the story of Cain and Abel. As we heard earlier for the first scripture reading, this is a stark story. The Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, doesn't mince words. It's not sentimental. I often have uh, brides and grooms really seeking through the Bible. They want some sweet, sentimental, soppy love story, and it just doesn't ever show up in there. The closest we get is Galatians, right? The fruits of the Spirit. So Adam and Eve begin our story of Cain and Abel because Adam and Eve are the mom and the dad. They have two little boys, Cain and Abel, that are the joys of their hearts. Cain grows up to be a farmer, and Abel grows up to be a shepherd. They bring the fruits of their harvest as an offering to God. Cain brings the produce of the land, And Abel brings the choicest parts of a first lamb of the flock. God prefers Abel's offering. Now, we don't know why. One line of commentary that especially dominates the Christian commenters, including our own John Wesley, who is the father of Methodism, have declared that Cain was just bad, that something about the offering was bad, that he was holding back what he should have given, or he was giving grudgingly, or he was simply a bad person inclined to evil. And because of this badness of Cain, God didn't favor Cain's offering. But this is a tricky theology, right? If you only do the right thing, you will always be a favorite. How many of you find that happens in real life? The trouble with thinking that way is when things go wrong, you think God has turned God's back on you. I was doing it right. Why doesn't God love me anymore? So this assumption is not in the scripture that Cain is bad or there is anything wrong with the offering. So the scriptures only say that Abel, that God preferred Abel's gifts. And the scriptures say that this hit Cain hard. He was shamed. He was hurt. He was angry. I like to use the word crestfallen here. In the gap between what Cain expected and what actually happened, Cain's angry emotions come to the forefront. He is so upset that God comes up to him to talk to him about it, asking him, Why are you so angry? And why do you look so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do the right thing, sin, and that's where this word shows up for the very first time in our scriptures, not in the story of the Garden of Eden, but right here, sin will be waiting at your door. It will entice you, and you must rule over it. A simpler way to hear this would be, hang in there, be an honorable man. Yes, 
Things won't always go your way, but that is part of living an honorable life, not letting the upsets and slights drag you into bad behavior. Cain, for those of us who know this story and were listening earlier, does not control himself. He leans into his anger. He invites Abel to come out into the field. Let's go outside, settle this there. And there Cain attacks Abel and kills him. God comes back and questions Cain, where is your brother? Cain is still resentful, answering with a snarky, he must have been generous like me, I am, am I my brother's keeper? Cain is blaming God. If only God hadn't so unfairly favorited Abel, if only God had been protecting the true favorite myself, nothing bad would have happened. God is not amused. God lays it out. You have killed your brother. His blood even now is across the ground. His lifeblood spilled, not just his own, but the lifeblood of his descendants, his children, his children's children, whose lives have been denied by this act of resentment and violence. There are consequences to violence. The death of Cain's brother and his entire line gone, the shameful, arrogant entitlement with which it was done, the weakness in bowing to sin instead of God, and now Cain is standing before God, who is the ultimate judge. Now a good judge sets things right, and God is a good judge, but things are complicated. God is not a sentimental pulp fiction novelist. And with a click of the pen, suddenly we're in chapter three and Abel pops up and didn't you know he wasn't really dead after all? Or this isn't a video game where yes, Abel was sprawled across the ground a minute ago, but now he's back at home base respawning and his handler is buying new boots from the store. Justice is not a magic wand that will bring Abel back from the dead and give them all a do-over. Justice will look like telling the truth and dealing with the truth. Justice is forward-looking, all-encompassing. It heals across time, but it does not remove the scars of time. And the consequences of what Cain has done will be woven into our human tapestry. Cain will have to live with what he has done, to look it in the face, to know the badness of it, to see his weakness. He will have to face it, and he will have to feel it. There is a word we hear a lot in the Bible, 231 times, I think, but it's not a word we hear every day. That word is iniquity. So I've never personally called up a friend, hey, Sally, I was just checking on you. I want to see how you are coping with the iniquity you are carrying around. We don't text our sweetheart, ugh, the dog got into the garbage again. I probably shouldn't have yelled at him so much, but now, because now he's cowering in his iniquity. Who has written that text? Anybody? Right? Probably would try to auto-correct that word for you. But this is a really important word, and it's 
really important here. It is often translated as punishment. English, can I just complain for a minute? Sometimes English is really lame. It's like taking a, um, I don't know, the depth of an ocean and distilling it down to a sort of running surface of water and saying, that's what the ocean is like. Well, yes, technically it's wet, but we are not getting the depth of understanding here. So we translate it as punishment, and all of us know that word is loaded in English, right? How often do we feel like punishment is fair? Yeah, I often don't feel that it's fair either. It's not justice. Punishment is this other vengeful, angry thing, more like what Cain has done than what God does. The Hebrew word, his gods have this idea of punishment in the sense of consequences, but it is not an abstract concept. It is a feeling in your gut. It is a bodily experience. It's not abstracted. It is felt deeply like a punch in the gut that leaves you feeling kind of shaken, empty maybe. It's like if you've done something wrong in your life, I know we have all had that experience and your blood goes a little cold, as if you've been dunked in rubbing alcohol, right? It's that weird, echoey kind of feeling in your skin. When I was a little girl, I broke my mother's favorite coffee mug. I didn't do anything on purpose, opened the shelf. I don't remember if I was careless or not. All I remember is that mug coming out of that cabinet and hitting the counter and breaking in half. <laughs> so I remember how I felt like I turned into cold mash at that moment. I felt the guilt and I feared the consequences. And so I carefully put the mug back up on the shelf resting the top broken part on the bottom broken part, and it looked just fine. And then I closed the cabinet, and I walked away. <laughs> Not really taking responsibility. Inequity, iniquity is guilt. It is the weight of something wrong. It is the feeling, the echo, not just an echo, the presence of injustice. It is the wrenching of things all mixed together when people hurt each other. It is how you feel if you are a dog named Fluffy and you have been caught snarfing down chicken bones from the garbage in the process, throwing out butter wrappers and old cheese, and your dog mama walks in and scolds you. Iniquity is how you feel when you are the dog parent and you have just yelled far too much at what might reasonably have been responded to better. So you've had a bad day and you've come in and you've seen this mess and you take your frustrations out and Fluffy gets the brunt of it. Now you are both feeling pretty rotten. This is iniquity. Iniquity is contagious, it spreads, it crouches at the door. Iniquity does not belong just to the perpetrator, but it is, as injustice is, felt by all that are affected by the wrong. And in unfair and unjust systems, it is everywhere, pinging back and forth. And it is in Cain. 
The story continues with Cain standing before God who is now acting the judge. And God calls out Cain's guilt and names the truth of it. God says, the life of your brother calls out. Cain must face the truth. There are consequences. Cain doubles over with the weight of it. He feels the punishment, yes, but not in the medieval way. God's goal here is not to make Cain suffer. We know the punishment can be injustice in its own right. So Cain faces a good judge, not with an exaggerated one, but far more powerfully with the true consequences of his guilt. Isn't it funny? It is easier to face unfair judgment and unfair punishment, right? You can stand above it like, oh, I've been unfairly treated. It is much harder to have someone bring the truth right to you. That sword of truth that pierces the hearts of humans who finally listen, who one day will be called to hear it not to wound and to make more suffering, but to tell the truth and set things right. It is hard truth. Cain doubles over and he cries out. He cannot bear it. It is too much. The murder, the loss of life, the sin, the destruction, the pain around him, even to the earth. And he has made himself an outcast He has chosen sin over the word of God. Who among us would not weep if we really acknowledged how much we do this in our own lives every day? Are we not courageous enough to see that we do this? He knows that life has changed. He gets it now. Other people will think of him as scum and a scoundrel. And many Bible commentators will tell us that he's just a bad seed. And it is easy to think of Cain as a bad seed. Though somehow we can make Cain less than human, some kind of defective being, and then we can feel righteous in mistreating him. We can incarcerate him, leave him for dead, put him in solitary confinement, ignore him in need on the road, all those things. He's defective, he's weak, we're better, clearly. But that's not what God does. God hears Cain's plea of anguish, his cry of guilt, and God practices what we too often do not, mercy and forgiveness. Out of his iniquity, his emptiness, horror, and remorse, Cain's deep experience of the depth and the width of injustice that lives inside him, he must heal through that scar. Some of us who wander are lost, and Cain is sentenced to wander. He has forced that rupture. I like to look at what the ancient rabbis said about this story. The, uh, the tendency in our culture 
has been to take a look at what happened to Cain and the fact that God has marked Cain and say, well, Cain is that bad seed. Cain is bad. He's defective. He deserves it. And he bears the mark of it. But that's not what that mark is. That mark is a protective mark in response to Cain crying out for mercy, in response to Cain's recognition that he has opened up iniquity and injustice rests on him just as it rests on all who will come in contact with him. God says, I will protect you, and others will know that I will defend you sevenfold. So here in the Midrash, which are stories, sort of commentary about the Hebrew Bible from the ancient ones, one rabbi calls Cain a wretch and says the mark was probably something like leprosy. But another says that the mark was a dog given to him to protect him, which I just thought was a marvelous, redemptive, and loving way to imagine that that might mean. Another suggested that God caused a horn to grow out of Cain's head. No missing that, right? Oops, don't shoot that guy. He's got the horn. That's Cain. I don't know if any of you have ever looked through like some of the ancient manuscripts or medieval illustrations, but horned Cain shows up. You're like, why does that guy have a horn? And sometimes Moses has horns. It's like there's something about horns all through the revelations. You know, I'm really not sure what the obsession with the horns were, but that was real. Cain has done terrible things, but even murderers like Cain can lean on the hope and love and promise of God. So one of the ancient teachers has this wonderful sort of comment on this that I just thought was so beautifully redemptive in a way that sometimes we Christians who supposedly believe in forgiveness and the power of the cross to redeem every sin miss. And the ancient Midrashic teacher is Hanina. And he says that after Cain spoke with God, Cain returned to see his father, Adam. Uh, Hanina says the interaction between Cain and God was like a court case. So that when Cain returned, Adam asked him, how did your case go? And Cain replies, I repented and I am reconciled. At hearing this, Adam says, just curls over and he begins to weep. And he says, so great is the power of repentance and I did not know. Can you imagine And then Adam stands tall and rejoicing. He sang out, it is a good thing to make confession to God. Doesn't that remind you of the story of the prodigal son? When the prodigal returns and the father wraps his arms around the son. We're going to talk more about the prodigal son. That story will surprise you too. Anytime you hear a story with these nice pat answers, be suspicious. It's probably not in the book. How marvelous that what we can pull out of this story is that you were never outside the healing love of God. And we are never 
we never live in a place where we have to cast anybody out. So there is hope for us, for all of us, because there is hope for Cain, and we are Cain. We bear the marks of our iniquity. We have the scars to prove the injustices that we bear and that we perpetrate, but we also have God's mercy and God's love. We don't have to look away from the deep truths of these stories. We can lean in because we know that God is good. Amen? Amen. Let's just take a moment to reflect.